Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Take your Bible, open it to Acts 21 and hold a finger in Acts 21 and 1 Peter 3.15. Locate both those texts And we're going to do a message today called Hear My Defense. We're going to be talking about the reasons that we're Christians and being able to articulate that to our generation. Here are my reasons. Why am I a Christian? What does Christ mean to me? I think that one of the basic things that Christians ought to be able to do, if you're a note taker, I would encourage you to jot this down, is be able to say to someone, look, can I just take a couple of minutes and share the gospel with you? You all know that the gospel means good news, and Peter says we're to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. I know that Christianity and Christians are largely misunderstood, at least by a lot of the major media and so forth, but we need to give our reasons. Let me ask you, what are your reasons? Uh, Maybe you're a non-Christian in here today, or maybe you're just checking out the claims of Christianity. What are your reasons? If someone were to ask you, maybe someone were to ask you in a moment of crisis, what are your reasons that you go through the crisis the way you do, or you hold on to Christ the way you do? What are your reasons? Uh, Give me your defense. That's what this is about today. And I'm going to show you just two scriptures from Acts, and then we'll turn to 1 Peter. And before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the example of the Apostle Paul. What a radical conversion from Saul to Paul, from a persecutor of the church to a proclaimer of the gospel. He had so much passion because you had saved him so radically. And I know that's many of our stories today, Lord, that we do what we do. We are who we are because of what you have done for us. You are our hope. You are all of our reasons. And so, Lord, as we um, talk about evangelism today, we talk about apologetics, we talk about a man in the middle of Jerusalem being beaten up, but yet still wanting to proclaim the gospel to to his family of Jewish people, I pray that you would give us a renewed passion for the gospel. If we've been lacking it, if we've been holding back our witness, if we've been hiding or uh, sitting and doing nothing, stir us, Lord. We have so much freedom in this country, and I pray that we would exploit it and use it to proclaim the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. There is no other hope, Lord. We live in a world that is hopeless, but you call yourself the God of hope, and so may we be proclaimers of that hope by the way we live and by the way we speak. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. The Apostle Paul has been moving towards Jerusalem Many people have been praying for him and warning him, don't go, Paul, don't go. And at one point in a previous study, Paul said, why are you breaking my heart? Why are you doing this to me? I've got to go. I've got to finish the race. The Holy Spirit's been testifying to me in every city that bonds and afflictions await me, but none of these things move me because I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. And finally, in Acts 21, verse 17, he has now made it to Jerusalem. It says, Luke recording, and when he had come, when we had come to Jerusalem, Luke, our author, is also there as an eyewitness. The brethren received 
us gladly. And then if you skip up to chapter 22, verse 1, when Paul begins his defense, he says, brethren and fathers, he's speaking now to the Jewish uh, people who are gathered for the Feast of Pentecost. He appeals to them, brethren and fathers, hear my defense. The word defense in Acts 22.1 is the Greek word apologia or apologia. It is where we get the idea of apologetics and it is used in a couple of different places in our Bible. Just jot this down. In Philippians 1.7, Paul says, um, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me, Philippians 1.7. And then in Philippians 1.16, he says, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. When you define the word apologetics, if you turn over to 1 Peter 3.15, some people think that that's an unbiblical idea and it's only kind of a expert arguing for the historicity of the Christian faith, but actually every Christian needs to be good at apologetics. What is it? Apologetics means to give a reasoned defense or a cogent argument for what you believe. It means you should know what you believe and why you believe it. So Christians often talk about the fact that God is looking for availability, and that's true. God wants us to be available, and, and we can see that Paul's been praying all the way up to this point where he finally enters into Jerusalem, and prayer is a huge thing. I think that you need to formalize who you are every day in prayer. Wake up first thing in the morning and say, Lord, I want to serve you. I don't have much to offer. This, this is often how I pray, but what I have, I give to you. If you can use this guy in any way, if you could lead my feet to someone who needs to hear the gospel, if I can give somebody a good word today. And, you know, frankly, uh, with evangelism, like a lot of things in the Christian life, it's not always easy to be on fire for the faith. Sometimes we are just, we don't feel good. We're cranky, whatever. Last night we were at a store, and frankly, I was a little cranky. I didn't feel like talking to a whole lot of people. I'm just going to be candid with you. And we're at the register, and we're talking with this gal, and uh, she was talking about graduations and proms, asking my son some questions. And, then, and my son said, well, you know, I'm about to graduate uh, next week. And she said, oh, just be careful out there. And she was kind of warning him as almost like a mom would warn, you know, be careful and don't do anything. And I said, uh, he's graduating from Bible college. It's okay. He's walking the straight and narrow path. I don't think he's going to be doing anything crazy. He might eat an extra cheeseburger that day or something. But anyway, oh, she goes, oh, that's wonderful. And I said, hey, do you fellowship anywhere? And she goes, oh, I go to this church. And so I gave her a card to the church. And it was an opportunity. Sometimes we begin in the natural. We talk to people about sports, shopping, weather. But we can swing to the supernatural. We can swing to the things of the spirit. So it doesn't mean that you have to grab everybody by the collar. If you're going to take evangelism, evangelism seriously, hey, do you know Jesus? Get right in their face. Don't do that. Don't hit them over the head with your family Bible and then see if they can collect themselves so you can share the gospel with them, right? That's not what this is about. This is about saying, I'm a real person. Uh, if you cut me, I'll bleed. I was a non-Christian for many, many years, but let me tell you, here's my reasons. This is what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Now, if you're a Christian sitting here today, don't you want other people to have the hope that you have? Don't you? I mean, somebody stepped out and shared the gospel with you, probably out of their comfort zone, 
And they decided to take a risk and to believe that the Holy Spirit could use what they said to you to, to bring them to saving faith in Christ. And so we need to do the same. It's important that we do the same, that we step out in faith. There's a story about a famous tightrope uh, walker. His name was Blondin, and he went over a tightrope uh, on a tightrope over Niagara Falls, doing this kind of thing, right? And the people were gathered, and they were cheering, and it was wonderful. And then he did it with a wheelbarrow. He went over Niagara Falls on the tightrope, and then he said, ah, the crowd was cheering, and a little boy was there, and he goes, do you believe I can do that again in the wheelbarrow? And the little boy said, oh, yeah, I believe you can do it. Okay, get in. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. I believe you can do it. But I ain't getting in that wheelbarrow. That's sometimes the limit of our faith. I believe she can evangelize. I believe that person can reach others for Christ. But me? Oh, I don't go there. That's not my gift, man. See, that's often what we do. And we, we take the chicken way out. And what we do is we don't experience all the joy that we could have. Imagine what it means to one person whose soul is saved for all eternity. Imagine the ripple effect it has on their family, their relationship when one person becomes a Christian. It's an incredible privilege to share the gospel. And I think that we need to be encouraged and even sometimes we need to be kind of shaken to, to do it. Now in 1 Peter 3, Peter's talking to a troubled church that's being persecuted. And he says these words, and this is around the famous apologetic verse in 1 Peter 3.15. But to set the context, go back to verse 13 of chapter 3. And who is there to harm you, 1 Peter 3, 13, if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. There's a story going around the internet right now. It's about Miriam Ibrahim. She is now in a jail in Sudan. She's married to Daniel Wani. She's 26 years old. I believe she's a medical doctor. She's married in a formal church ceremony in 2011. The couple has an 18-month-old son. His name is Martin, who's currently with Miriam in jail. Why is she in jail? What is her crime? A Sudanese court just convicted her of blasphemy and convicted her of adultery for sleeping with her Christian husband because they don't want to acknowledge that relationship. So they're categorizing her relationship as adultery. They're saying that she has broken blasphemy laws in Sudan and they have condemned her to die. She's currently pregnant with her second child and the court, uh, the, the judge determined that she will die by hanging after she gives birth to her child, she will receive 100 lashes. She will then nurse the child, and then she will be hung in Sudan for breaking blasphemy laws. The court said, if you will now repudiate your faith in Christ and reject your Christianity and become a Muslim again. By the way, she was raised by a, a Christian mother. She had a Muslim father, but he left the family when she was very young. So the mother raised her in Christianity. She was never a Muslim to begin with. She said that. And the judge said, if you'll recant your faith in Christ and become a Muslim, quote unquote, again, you will not die. She refuses to recant her faith in Jesus Christ. Would you please pray for Miriam, Ibrahim, and Daniel Wani and their family? 
Uh, we know that 276 girls were taken, I think it was 276, by Muslim terrorists. I believe they're largely Christians, but they're being forced to convert over to Islam. And in the first century when Peter wrote, Nero, the crazy Caesar of the time, had set some fires and he had blamed it on the Christians. And many Christians were suffering. And Peter says, don't fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ, 1 Peter 3.15, as Lord. The word sanctify means venerate or worship him as Lord right in your heart, right in the center of who you are. Always being ready to make a defense. That's the word apologia, where we get apologetics. To everyone who asks you to give an account, apologetics should always lead us to the hope that is in us. And then the posture with which we do it is with gentleness, that is a synonym for meekness, power under control, and reverence. We say to people, with all due respect, we listen, but we also share. And Peter says, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better, 1 Peter 3.17, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ, our ultimate example, also died or suffered for sins once for all. The just for the unjust, his goal was to bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And I think you see the implication. Peter takes Christ's example and says, Christ suffered death and ignominious, terrible death to bring many to uh, glory, to bring many to Christian faith. And so you may have to follow in his footsteps. Now back to Acts 21, and a man who is definitely following in his footsteps is Paul. Paul knows the Holy Spirit's been warning him He's going to Jerusalem, he's going to be dealing with afflictions and bonds, but he has decided that he's even ready to die for Christ if that be the case. Uh, If you believe in Jesus Christ, you know that to depart and be with Christ is far better. It would be a sad tragedy to live a long life and never use it in the service of the Master. If we believe what we say we believe, then we should be using our lives for Christ. Amen? We should be in the service of the master. And so when they arrived, the good news was they were received gladly, Acts 21, 17. Some scholars would hold that this is the Hellenistic Jews who first greet them, those who had Greek backgrounds. They received them gladly, probably lots of hugs and welcomes to Jerusalem. And now the following day, Acts 21, 18, Paul, following in those footsteps of Jesus now, went in with us to James. This is an interesting meeting between the author of two-thirds of the New Testament letters, including the Magna Carta book of Romans that celebrates what? The grace of God. And the book of James, and James is often the guy that people say is at odds with Paul because James talks about works and Paul talks about grace. Well, Paul believed in works as well. But his main point was works don't save you. They flow out of a saved life. And by the way, this is not the first meeting between Paul and James. This is about the fourth meeting. And they had already agreed back in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem council that people are saved by what? Grace, not by works. You don't have to become a Jew first as a Gentile to become a Christian. That's already been settled 
Paul and James love each other. James is known as James the Just in history. One historian called him Old Camel Knees. And the reason is, is because they say James was a prayer warrior and he prayed so much on his knees that his knees were worn out because of his prayer life. And James was also the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He was a skeptic of Christianity along with the Apostle Paul who was known as Saul. These two men meeting here in Jerusalem at this point in history drive skeptics crazy because they don't know what to make of them. Why would James, who doubted the sincerity of his brother and thought his brother, frankly, had kind of lost it, and then Saul, who was the chief enemy and persecutor of Christianity, how is it that they're now two chief spokesmen for this movement? James is the leader of the Jerusalem church. Paul's going all over the Roman world to win people to Jesus Christ, and skeptics don't know how to explain these two guys. They had no good reasons to come to faith in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, both of them die a martyr's death going to their grave saying that Jesus Christ is alive and he's the truth. Now some of you may say, well, people, people die for a lie. I mean, after all, kamikaze pilots and maybe terrorists blow themselves up. But most of the time, those people believe what they're doing. They may be deceived, but they at least believe they're doing it for a cause that may help them in the afterlife. The apostles, James and Paul included, they knew they were able to verify whether or not Jesus was really alive. Paul says, I saw him. The Lord appeared to James in 1 Corinthians 15. These men knew If Jesus wasn't alive and the guillotine's above your head and you made it up, that's the time when you come clean. Just kidding, Ali Ali Oxen Free. Peter told me to say this. We cooked up a story. It's really not true. But you know what? They died knowing. They verified the fact of the resurrection. And Paul had seen the risen Lord and he said he's alive. And that's why we have hope in Christ. Now, not only is it Paul and James with this group that's just come in, many Gentiles bringing that offering to the poor saints in Jerusalem, but all the elders of the Jerusalem church, verse 18, were there. Some scholars believe as many as 70 elders were present uh, because there were many thousands of believers in Israel. And remember that Paul has come for the feast of, remember, Pentecost. Millions of Jews would uh, converge on Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. Many people are here. And after he greeted them, he began to relate, Paul's now relating one by one the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. I want you to notice, notice the humility of Paul. He's, he's relating one by one what God had done. That's his humility. I planted, Apollos watered, but God, remember, brought the increase so then that he that plants and he that waters is nothing but God. He gives the glory where the glory is due. It's so important we understand God doesn't need us. He uses us to spite us. There's a pastor who said he got a call and uh, he was told there was an elderly lady, unbeliever, on her deathbed. She lived in this little apartment and he was asked to go out and minister to her and she had just a couple of days to live. And so he was really uneasy driving in the car over there. He tells this story personally. And he said he didn't know what to say with her. He knew that she was not open or just seemed to be closed to the gospel. 
Lord, what should I say? What should I do? Help me, help me, help me. He came to the door, knocked on the door of the apartment. A woman answered the door. He went into the room where the lady was. And she said, before you say anything to me, pastor, I want you to know something. Yesterday, my sister led me to Jesus Christ. And the pastor was like, praise the Lord. He said, I read some Psalms to her. And I told her, you don't have to be afraid to die anymore. And she goes, I'm not afraid of death. And she began to minister to him. And he said, when he left, she ministered more to him than he did to her. It's amazing the hope that we can have in Christ because of the truth of the resurrection. And so Paul, one by one, I mean, how many stories did this guy have to share? We're in the Philippian jailer. Well, first of all, we're in the Philippian jail. But before that, this crazy servant girl who was demon-possessed, she became a Christian. And then Lydia became a Christian. And then we're in the jail. And we're singing hymns at midnight. And the jail, and the handcuffs came off. And the jailer was going to kill himself. We said, no, we're all here. And the jailer, he knelt down. He gave his life to Christ. And then at the end of the night, he's washing our wounds. And he gave us food. One by one. How many stories, man? The only way you'll be able to tell stories is if you do something. Amen? You've got to step out of the boat at some point and say, Lord, I believe you can use me. And Paul, one by one, story after story. How did the mother church, uh, the Jewish church, receive this? Well, when they heard uh, the stories, they began glorifying God. They praised God. And they said to him, you see, brother, their family. How many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Now, many Jews have become Christians, but they still are zealous for Torah. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching 21, all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. People were believing the worst false rumors about Paul. Paul did not tell people not to circumcise their children. He was just trying to make sure that Gentiles were not forced to be circumcised, to be saved, and to keep a kosher diet. That's all he was saying. He would say to Jewish people, if you're a Jew and you want to circumcise your child on the eighth day, do it. He's in Jerusalem there to honor the feast of Pentecost. If he didn't care about the law anymore, he wouldn't be there anyway. And this is 30 years after he's become a Christian. In Acts 18, 18, he took the Nazarite Valley. He's been a Christian for years, but it was a special time of dedication to the Lord. Paul knows that the gospel is by grace, but he didn't stop being Jewish because of it. There's a gal, her name is Judy Reamer. She was uh, featured on the Focus on the Family broadcast, grew up in a Jewish home, married to a Jewish man, uh, all the families, Orthodox Jews, and she uh, tried it in Judaism, and she just couldn't find fulfillment and hope. And she tried the cults and the occult, seeking out all this stuff. Never felt like she could be good enough. Always felt empty. She read a book by Pat Boone, who was kind of the superstar at that time. She said he was bigger than Elvis during one stretch. And she was really a fan. And he, in the book and in an interview, had told about his conversion to Christ or his faith in Christ. And, and she was starting to have some epiphanies. Well, she had opened her life to Christ and she described a radical conversion. And she said that um, she was going to go to Vegas. And she said, not a good place to go right after you've decided to follow Christ. 
But Pat Boone happened to be playing in Las Vegas. And as she tells the story, she said, in all these years of him going there, he had never been there during that week except for this particular occasion. And the people who were with her were telling her to call Pat Boone. And she's like, I'm not going to call him. You call him. And she said, it was just really strange. These people who are so quiet and reserved were telling me to call him. So I called him and he returned my call. They ended up meeting and Pat Boone led this lady to Jesus Christ and baptized her. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. When Paul had come to Jerusalem in Acts 21.17, they were received gladly. They got a chance to spend some time with James and, and share what God was doing. And, and they were glorifying God. God was doing a lot of stuff through the Apostle Paul. And then James made a request to Paul, a little bit of strange request, but Paul uh, agreed to the request. And it may have been a Nazarite vow that he participated in, which may surprise some people, but Paul was still Jewish. And uh, the essence of the Nazarite vow was uh, some were lifelong Nazarites, but Nazarites, but Paul um, probably did the traditional temporary Nazarite vow to go deeper with God. And I think that's what you have here in Acts chapter 21. And, you know, this turns into something where Paul's at the temple and he's seen with some Gentile men in the city. Um, He didn't bring them into the temple. He wouldn't have done that into the inner temple. But, uh, of course, a mob gathers and the Apostle Paul is uh, beat up once again. And the amazing thing about this account, the thing that I think is humbling and amazing about the Apostle Paul, is when the Roman soldiers come to rescue him from really what seems to be certain death, Paul asks to speak to the people. And in what is one of the most tremendous messages that you're going to find in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul shares his testimony in Acts 22. He tells about his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He speaks about that he understands who they are, that he understands the struggles that the Jewish people have. He speaks to them in the Hebrew dialect, and he tells the story. And he tells the story with both, I think, a sense of shalom, a sense of peace and hope, but a sense of regret. Because Paul was there when they stoned Stephen. And Paul, he realized how far he had been from God. He thought he was so near. He thought... What he was doing was a favor for God, and yet he was fighting God. Thank you for listening to today's program. Our mission is to get the truth of God's Word out. This is our passion. We want to impact as many people as possible. And we have an opportunity to expand this radio program, and we need you, the listener, to partner with us in prayer and in giving. You can give to our ministry through our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org.